Well, you're welcome to have a seat. Um, if we're short on chairs, which is a good problem to have, um, there are some in the back room back there, and if anybody wants to support that, otherwise we should be able to get everybody seated. Um, good stuff. Thank you all very much. Um, so uh, we are today going to be in uh, primarily in Matthew 28. We're going to start in verse 18. If you would turn there, and I'm going to let you know what we're doing today is a little bit unique. Um, every year at the beginning of the year, sometime early in the year, we do a state of the church where in my sermon I review from Scripture the commands that God has given us as a church, and then we reflect on those to see what areas are we healthy in, what do we need to grow in, and so this will be a combination of sermon and annual report, and um, i I'm biased, but I actually think it's fun to do this because our church is doing cool things. Um, Most of the time, like budget meetings, annual meetings in churches, uh, just honest truth, they usually are terribly boring. Um, We happen to be a part of a church where some exciting things are happening by God's grace. Uh, So if you would turn with me uh, to that passage in Matthew, and I am going to very quickly review our mission. So the mission here at Restoration is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. We have pulled that mission directly from what is called the Great Commission. Um, This is Jesus in Matthew 28 gives us this great command. So to set the stage a little bit, Matthew 28, Jesus has already died to pay our sin debt. He has already risen from the dead bodily. And he is about to ascend into heaven. And so, as he is about to ascend, he's giving this message, this final command to his disciples before he actually just goes right up into the sky. You can imagine that this is really important. When we leave a message, like right before we know we're going to be gone, like it's, it's critical, it's key, we're not fooling around here. This is central, and it's why we've built our message on this. So I'm going to read Matthew 28, I'm going to start in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Lord Jesus, I'm asking that by your Holy Spirit you would be with us today. Anoint the words that I speak, that they would be in accordance with your will. By your Holy Spirit, illuminate Scripture, that it would be made clear and understood by us, that hearts would be convicted, that people would be drawn to you, and that then we would be empowered to obey your word. And then, God, may we leave here obeying you more and giving you glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So when we're talking about this Great Commission, we will continue in this passage, by the way. I'm going to refer back to it. Uh, We are noting four different things we see here, arguably more. The first is to go to all nations. A little side note, a lot of times when we hear nations, we think of like China, Russia, Uzbekistan. Um, I've got friends from Uzbekistan, so I think of Uzbekistan. It's also the coolest sounding name. Um, We think of countries. The word here is actually ethnos. It's referring to every type of people group. The idea that any, and who knows how you might define that, but we're talking about something smaller than just a nation. We're talking about every group of people, unique languages, unique cultures. Jesus wants to make sure that the gospel doesn't just get to China, but to every group of people within China. 
not just to India, but to every group within India. Um, our prayer email that we send out roughly once a week, we mentioned the Aceh people in China. There's something like 42,000 people that they don't really have the gospel. Somebody needs to get there with the gospel. So when we start talking about taking the gospel, this go part of the Great Commission, we're not joking about it. We're very serious. We go places as missionaries. We support missions. And hopefully, each of us individually are taking the gospel to our workplaces and to our neighborhoods and so forth. More on that later. I just didn't want to gloss over the go part. The second key piece we have here is, of course, the make disciples thing. When we say make disciples, what we mean is someone who is becoming like Jesus. So this has to begin with the proclamation of the gospel. So you will notice when we talk about disciple making, we get very clear that that absolutely begins with and arguably ends with the proclamation of the gospel. So lest there be confusion, I'm going to take a minute and I'm going to explain the gospel so that everybody is clear. Uh, Most people in our church hopefully are clear on this, but I've found that because our sin nature is always to lean towards either workspace salvation or nothingness, the gospel has to be reminded all the time. We'll talk more on this in a second, how we try to get back to the gospel every time we get together. So when we talk about the gospel, we like to give context. And scripturally, we have what we call the grand narrative of the gospel. And if you look throughout scripture, this theme plays out of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. This is not something we made up. This is like from history, as we've looked at scripture, this kind of process plays out. When we talk about the gospel, we're actually talking about the good news that Jesus paid our sin debt. But that doesn't make a lot of sense out of context, right? If I walk up to somebody and be like, hey, good news, Jesus saved you. Jesus paid for you. That doesn't make sense unless I clarify what that means, right? So when we talk about the grand narrative, we're talking about the overarching gospel narrative of which that good news is central. We begin with creation, that God created the whole world and everything in it, all the heavens and the earth. But when he created man, he created us in his image. There is a unique value that every human being has because he or she reflects God in some way. You don't have God's DNA. You're not a tiny little God. It's just that something about you has been created to be like God and to point to him. Arguably, your creativity, your ability to have relationships, and something even beyond that. There are all these things that make you a reflector of the image of God. It is why humans have so much value. You're not valuable because you are at the the top of some evolutionary chain. You're not valuable because of what you're able to accomplish or what you look like. You are valuable regardless of any of those things because God made you in his image to bring him glory. So point one is creation. However, as we see in Genesis, humanity sinned. We violated God's law. We violated his commands. And every one of us has done this, not just the first humans, but each of us. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because God is perfect, he cannot be in relationship with sin. And so it doesn't matter if you've just told the tiniest lie or stolen the smallest thing or if you are a serial murderer. In both cases, in all cases, you are separated from God by your sin. And bad news, you'll never be good enough to fix that. You can't be an infinite person to heal a wound between you and an infinite God. You just can't be good enough. You are already a lawbreaker. So you can understand, like, so far, this is bad news, right? 
Gospel means good news. But we're setting this up and clearly communicating this key point, and that is what we see in Romans 6.23, that for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we say the gospel, there's plenty of verses, by the way, that reference this, but when we say the gospel, that's what we're talking about, that God paid your debt for you and rescues you. It's not by any works. He's done it for you. That's what we mean when we say the gospel. It's good news. And then we add to it, because a lot of times we kind of miss that, like, hey, it's not just that he got us out of hell, although that's really great, that's huge. He's restored us back into the relationship with God we're meant to have, and he is putting things right as a result. A day is coming when he will fully establish his kingdom on this earth, and that's really good news. That's really good news. So we say, hey, you're restored back to God. You get to delight in God and enjoy the relationship you were created for. But also, he's making this world right again. He's reversing the effects of sin. So, a couple of more key things as we talk about the gospel. Again, because I want to reiterate this, because this is central to what we do as a church. It is central to what the global church does. We've got a lot of denominations, a lot of different... We've got a lot of different house churches even within our our body here. Um, God is at work. It is critical that we understand the gospel central to that. The means of the gospel, just to be clear, is that Jesus' death pays your sin debt fully. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins on his body, on the tree, that we might die to sin and, and, and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Hopefully this is clear. You were a sinner. You've sinned. When Jesus was hung on the cross, it was as if all of your sin was dumped on him and all of the wrath of God that you deserved was also poured out on him so that he took it all. That's what Jesus did. He died in your place. We call this substitutionary atonement. And then he rose from the dead bodily. He took it all. It is for this reason that we see in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. The whole point of this is that God gets the glory. You don't get to work a little bit and think you earn something. You do jack for your salvation. God is the one who paid it. Jesus paid the debt. You can't earn it. Just enjoy it. You're saved by grace through faith. I know I'm triple reiterating something that most of us already know, but we kind of need to hear this a lot. And I want to make sure that we are so very clear and so emboldened by it that we give this good news to everybody. More on that later. Last thing. Salvation, this conversion thing happens at the moment of repentance and faith. Romans 10.9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, Built into this is this idea that, yes, I'm believing he did this thing for me, that he died for my sins and rose from the dead, but I am declaring him my Lord. This is kind of huge because before, I think I'm in charge of my life. Or maybe I put somebody else in charge of my life. I'm serving someone. I'm acknowledging not just that Jesus is Lord in the general sense, that yeah, whatever, Jesus is God, but I'm acknowledging he is my king, my master. That, that Greek word, kurios, actually means master or Lord or king. What you're doing is turning, and every time we see the gospel mentioned is always associated with repentance, that I'm turning my back on my old life, understanding I'm not going to be perfect, but putting my trust completely in Jesus and putting him in charge. So every now and then, I've noticed people get really wishy-washy with their gospel presentation, and they'll say something like, 
really crappy, like, oh, just believe in a higher power, or just have some nice feelings, or come to church more. That doesn't save you. Jesus is the one who does the work. You have to repent and believe the gospel, which, by the way, is not a work. All of that is a gift that God gives you to be able to do, but that is the moment of conversion, and don't think because you're showing up that you're saved. Don't think because you came in a Christian family that you're saved, or that you're in this nation that you're saved, or even that you live a reasonably good life. We are all in need of a Savior, and it's repentance and faith that is the crossing the line into salvation. Everybody good? Cool. Clarifying that because it's really important. All right? So when we start talking about the gospel, we're talking about communicating that. When we talk about disciple-making, tied back to this Matthew 28 passage, we're saying, go and proclaim the gospel. You can't be a disciple-maker. You cannot obey this command of God and not go and do that. So this is why we make such a big deal out of like, hey, share the gospel when we're together as a church family. Remind one another. Right now, we're doing this, right? As we'll see, this is related to another verse we're going to passage. Um, when I'm sharing, I'm talking to my family. When I'm doing family devotions, I'm talking to my children, my neighbors. I'm taking the gospel to them, and I can't be obeying Jesus if I'm not doing that. Cool? So we've covered go. We've covered make disciples. The next thing we're going to talk about is this baptism thing. We're going to review some numbers on all these things in a little bit. Baptism's pretty critical. Just a key note. Baptism in the first century was seen as completely tied to your repentance. Um, it wasn't like you get saved and then later you get baptized. And be really clear, baptism, the, the water dunking does not save you. But man, it's really important. It's an act of obedience. Um, baptism is key. We baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, more on that later. But that's huge. So then the last thing is we're to teach them to obey God's commands. Um, Again, man, there's so many things we're covering because I want to give us an overview of our mission so we can check what happened in 2019 against it. So forgive me that this is not going to be like a polished, like smooth sermon. This is going to be we're addressing things and then we're going to say like, here's what we need to do. Here's what we need to do. Here's what's great. Praise the Lord. Um, This whole teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, a little side note, you might remember that when they asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, he says, and he quotes from the Old Testament. He doesn't make up some random new thing. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. So the first commandment is actually acknowledging who God is. And then he says, now you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Notice that's like one commandment kind of smooshed together into two. Um, that I am commanded to love God and delight in Him. And then, he says, the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he mentions that the law and the prophets all hang on these things. So if you're wondering like how the Old Testament law fits in, well, first of all, it shows you that you need God, because none of us are perfect. But also, like it's a wonderful way to live. Like The Ten Commandments all fall under this loving God or loving others. Even the Old Testament law in Exodus and Deuteronomy all falls into either loving God or loving people, right? More on that later. So when we talk about disciple-making and teaching them to obey all that he's commanded, we're talking about teaching them the whole counsel of Scripture. More on that in the practices later. But we talk about proclaiming the gospel, baptizing them, and then teaching them the whole counsel of Scripture. And that's good news. It's freeing. The law is actually really helpful because it's a better way to live. Everybody cool? Everybody comfortable following me? Or maybe not comfortable, but you're at least following me. Um, Thank you, Norfolk and Southern, for sponsoring this meeting today. 
Um, <laughs> so a little review. You'll note that we mentioned that our mission is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. We've covered the, the what we're doing, the whole like making disciples things. I actually want to jump back and talk about this whole glorifying God piece of it. And to do that, I would love for you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Now, paying attention here, I mentioned that this declaring Jesus your Lord this repentance and putting him in charge is like at that moment of conversion. It is not an accident. It's not just some extra add-on that the kingship of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus is central to all of this. We'll see more here in just a second. Uh, Colossians 1, we're going to start in verse 15. Paul is writing about Jesus. And he says, He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, his body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood blood of his cross. Man, hopefully as you're reading this, you're noticing some key things. First of all, Jesus here is referred to as the firstborn of all creation. This does not mean that Jesus was the first person born. Jesus pre-existed as the Son of God eternally. Um, He's always been. Firstborn is a title of preeminence. When we say firstborn, we're talking about like he's the heir. So this idea here is saying that Jesus, he's invisible God. He is the heir of all creation, the firstborn of all creation. He is the one who created all things, whether they're on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Everything was created by Jesus. He was there at the beginning. He's preeminent. He's created everything. He's before all things. It says, in him all things hold together. Do we understand that this is a reference to the way that he's holding the universe together even now? This is all referring to his deity as well as then in his humanity. This is the head of his body, the church. So the church is for him. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He's the first one to resurrect. That in everything he might be preeminent. And then it says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Hopefully we're understanding here that Colossians, Paul, as he's writing to that church, is saying, Jesus is everything. Everything comes back to his glory. He's the one holding all things together. He's the one who created all things. He's the one who's brought us back together with God by his death on the cross. It is all coming back to him for his glory. And so when we talk, when we sing worship songs, when we remember Him, when we proclaim the gospel, it's not just things that we do. It's because the greatest thing in all things we do is to give glory to God. Everybody with me on that? That's why we say that our mission is to glorify God by making disciples. This is not just, oh yeah, whatever, we sing some things and God is good. No, man, like, it's all about Him. Little side note, do you remember that the first commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
This is, it all goes together, everybody. Like, I'm delighting in him. And in doing so, I'm fulfilling the commands of God because it's all for him. And he created me for this. So when I am operating in obedience, I'm actually enjoying this. I'm remembering this good God who has saved me. He created everything. He gives me the very breath in my lungs. The, the things we see in this world, the blessings of love and friendship and good food and everything, like this is all by him and it's also for him. And he's receiving glory and every little bit of this. And as I delight in him, he is being glorified. And that's the best thing I can do with my life. Cool. All right. This is why, as you can imagine, like maybe a little side note, like this is not just like random things pastors say, like. I daily am at peace and enjoy. It's not to say I don't have things that grieve me or are difficult, but I get to delight in God every day. Like the God of creation knows me, paid my sin debt. I don't wake up anxious about whether or not I'm loved or what's going to happen. I'm in his arms. I don't wake up worrying about the terrible things I've done and how it's going to get paid for. He's already paid for it. This is good. Like I want people to know this. And a side note, if the two great commands in following him are loving God and loving others, that seems really good for the world in general, right? And so this whole thing of like being bashful about our faith in Christ seems foolish. If what we have is the antidote to what is broken in the world, why would you not share the gospel? So Matthew 24, you don't have to turn there, but verse 14, Jesus is speaking and says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations... And then the end will come. What did Jesus give a command for us to do in Matthew 28? Make disciples of all nations. What did he say was going to happen? It's going to be proclaimed, this good news to all nations, and then the end will come. Part of what we're doing is we want to make sure that the Aceh people, or they're random, I just, it's because they're first in the alphabet of unreached people groups. Um, The Aceh people in the middle of China, they've got to get the gospel. Because every day, every one of those 42,000 people, I think it's 42,000, my memory is not perfect, they wake up without hope in our Savior. They wake up trying to, trying to make the most of this like self-worship, creation worship, whatever it is that's going on there, and they don't have hope. The gospel needs to get to them by the command of Christ and by the promise. He says it's going to happen. I want to make sure we're a part of that. Cool? All right, so you guys are with me. I'm about to change gears because all of that was based on like our mission and what and like what it is. We're going to review how well we're doing with it, but mission. We also have some practices and some values as a church. Possibly, I don't want to say chief among them, but a distinctive we have that is from Scripture is gathering together to edify, equip, and hold fast to the gospel. Um, we pull this directly from Hebrews 10:23 through 25. I think this is 23 through 25. He says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. That is the gospel. The confession of our hope is a reference to the gospel. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day draw near. Understand what he's saying? We get together, we're commanded to get together to stir one another up to love and good works. I I can only imagine that he's referring to the good works of obeying God's commands. 
what else could it be, right? The love and good works to love one another, to good works, and to hold fast to the confession of hope. That's why we remember the gospel every time we get together. Cool? And the idea here, he says, all the more as you see the day drawing near. This was written in the first century. We don't get off the hook for spending time together. We have to do it all the more as the day draws near. There's something more coming, and so we should be even increasing how much we're together. And so we have some practices here related to us fulfilling the one another's. Some of these are straight from Scripture. Some of these are just practical things. They're not commands of God. They're just ways in which we fulfill commands of God. Uh, One of them is discipleship. This is absolutely biblical. We have a high value on, ideally, everybody in our church meeting with at least one or two other people to be in the Word and disciple one another. High value. I'm recognizing that like for like young moms, this is really hard to pull off because like when are you going to have a quiet moment? Um, so however you need to do it, it might look different. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's just staying in touch text message, but like that it's happening. We can't not do it. It might look different. That's okay. Some of my discipleship meetings are a phone call. Some of them are in person. Um, some of them are like 30 minutes and some of them are an hour and a half. <coughs> Excuse me. But this is huge. Discipleship. Another one, of course, is house church. We gather together to fulfill the commands of Christ, what we call the one another's. So in, in Scripture, we see at least 59 mentions of one another's. We're to love one another, bear one another's burdens, confess sin one to another, forgive one another, uh, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. There's this idea that we have to do all these things that are commanded as one another's as we're loving one another. You can't do one another's without gathering together. We'll place a really high value on gathering together as house churches. And then, of course, first Sunday, like we're doing right now, we have a high value on getting together and celebrating and teaching God's word together. I've also noticed, I've encouraged this, and I'm just now in the last year talking about this more, but the idea of doing family worship, we're like, I'm not just doing family devotions with my children, but we're actually gathering, we're singing a song, we're teaching something. Um, highly recommending the book, uh, Family Worship by Donald Whitney. Um, this is a free one if you want one. Um, but there's something that happens as we're teaching our children and God is being glorified in our homes. That's not like a thing that's like, oh, it's required and here's in Scripture where it says. It's actually just been a practice throughout the history of the Jewish people and the church. That's what we did is we had family worship. And um, some of us are doing family devotions and it's really similar. That's cool. Pray about family worship. Actually, just do it if you want to. Um, Cool? All right. So let's get into reviewing some of these things. Um, We're going to get into like the reporting part of it. Everybody clear on what our mission is? Glorifying God by making disciples. A key practice among that is we gather together. It's a high value. We gather together to edify one another and con- you know, communicate the gospel. So, uh, 2018, we had four house churches. By God's grace, we planted house churches and grafted some in in 2019. We are at eight house churches. This includes our house churches in Central America. Praise God. God's doing a work. Um, really awesome. And, by the way, we actually had two house churches in 2019 that we tried to plant that didn't carry on. And so... Praise the Lord. Like, we're doing really well here, by God's grace. Um, I'm already looking at how full some of our house churches are getting, and I'm praying that we have the opportunity, both through missions and through more planting, to plant maybe three more this year. We're not, we don't push and try too hard. We're just looking at it and saying, like, maybe we'll plant. Cool? Um, everybody following me? 
Um, we also coach other churches. This doesn't win us anything or any points other than like it's a blessing to the kingdom. Um, I take part of my time to coach other house church leaders unrelated to our church. Um, Underground Seminary, which of course many of you know is the way in which we train advanced doctrine uh, in our people. We have a total, and, and not just our people, but outsiders as well. Uh, 2018, we had like 15 people involved. Um, as of right now, we have 61 people signed up from different churches, not just ours. Um, and then I would like to see that grow by another like 49. Wait, 39. I can't do math. We'd like to see like 100 people in that by the end of 2020. Uh, new families. Uh, we had six new families in 2018. Eight new families that I can track in 2019. That's mostly just our U.S. families. Um, we actually have had a lot more growth in Central America, but I don't like to put numbers up if I can't track them. Um, so there's probably closer to 18 new families. I just, Central America is harder to track. Um, yeah. Uh, exciting. We'd like to see more of that in 2010 or 2020. Um, missionary trips, we had three in 2018, five in 2019. We've got at least four planned for 2020. Um, excited about that. Actually, a little side note about our missionary trips. Uh, we don't do mission trips like a lot of churches. We don't take a big team. We don't usually do a construction project. We don't stay in hotels. Uh, we try to do first century Paul and Barnabas style. We go, we stay with people there, we do equipping and teaching, and then we get the heck out of Dodge. Um, we, we go for very inexpensive. Our missionary trips are, we're really trying to just take the gospel and equip. Um, so what we plan to do here this year is do a follow-up with the ones that we've planted and just kind of support as Paul did when he would do follow-up missionary trips. Uh, we saw four new believers come to Christ in 2019. And I've got a question mark for what we'd like to see in 2020. By God's grace, Hungry Church celebrated their four-year anniversary a few weeks ago. Um, they led four people to the Lord, baptized six people. So our evangelism is already at... 20, like we've already like beat our 2019 and we're in February by God's grace. So really, really cool. Um, and then we've baptized, actually, we baptized six already, of course, counting Hungry Church. So um, I know I'm giving a big report here. Hopefully this is interesting because this is directly related to what God is doing. Um, we added two new elders. Thank you, guys. Um, we are really praying that another elder would be raised up in Central America. Um, a lot of those guys are new believers, and so we're praying that we see some more maturity, more growth, more people come along, and we can add another elder. Um, cool. Next, next page real quick. Um, here's a really quick like overview of what's going on. It might be a little bit hard to see, but... Um, 2018, we stayed pretty steady and actually dropped down at the end of 2018. That was when we merged uh, Lorraine or Amherst and um, and Sheffield together. Uh, we started off 20, 2019 planting two new ones, so they didn't make it after the first quarter. And then right around June, things started happening. Um, we added the uh, the Portage County House Church. We added Spokane, Washington. Um, Lorraine planted out. We planted Nicaragua in July, Mexico in November. Um, cool things happen. Uh, so you can kind of see on here on this map our various dots of where we've got house churches. They're not perfect because it's really hard to make them really tiny. Um, want to point that out. God's doing really good things through multiplication, through missions, and through grafting in house churches. But I also want to point out up here, uh, top of Africa and over into Asia, roughly is what we call the 1040 window. Most of the unreached people groups in the world are here. And so you kind of notice that North America, Central America, we got a lot of house churches. 
I would love to see us do more for reaching in the unreached. Um, this is why we support the Great Commission Fund. We do have missionaries we're paying to go there. I would love to see us do more. Cool? Everybody with me? Um, how are we doing on time? Because I don't want to make us too late. All right, cool. All right, uh, last couple of things here, just to make sure we're understanding. Some key healthy areas. Man, our church loves one another, and it's really cool. Um, I have been a pastor in a long time. I used to have to deal with a lot of drama in churches. We are not perfect, but our drama levels are way, way low. People love each other. Thank you. Um, always wanting to improve, but good stuff. We make disciples, we support missions, and we're seeing small but steady growth. That's some health, by God's grace. Um, We could use some growth, by God's grace, in some other things. Um, I'm always hesitant to talk about giving, uh, but let me just tell you, I don't make more money when our church gives. We support more missions when our church gives. We have a pretty much flatline budget that we operate really lean. By God's grace, it's wonderful. I like that. So pretty much every dollar beyond what's already being given gets to go to missions and meeting needs. Um, What I noticed when I looked just, I don't know who gives what or anything, but when I looked at our overall giving and I just looked at how many people we have connected to our church, I realized like our average giving per person is actually relatively low. And that's okay. Give in accordance with God has given you. Um, But I would love for us to pray about giving sacrificially because of the opportunity to build trust. More on that in a second. Um, I think it was more like, man, I know, I know our brothers in El Salvador are, are sacrificing big time to get by. And it, it sometimes it bothers me a little bit that we're not doing a little bit more to support him. Um, evangelism, we'd always like to see increase. Uh, discipleship, of course, it's doing good, but we'd like to see more. Gathering, good. We'd like to see grow in that. I would love to see us also increase in prayer. And then just in doctrinal equipping, which all of these things are on track to growth. I'm just kind of saying like, let's just keep doing these things. Um, Cool. Last couple of things. Uh, Giving, we made a goal in 2019 to have more than 50% of our our giving going to missions. Some months that would happen, some months it wouldn't. The idea is because our expenses here stay the same, if the giving would go up, we could just increase our giving. If it went down, we had to decrease what we gave to missions. Um, We did the math at the time, and if $128 per person per month was given, we'd be well above our our goal to do 50% to missions. Some months we made this, some months we didn't. That's still our mission's goal. What I'm encouraging in 2020, I looked at how many people, actually, I already mentioned like giving kind of sacrificially, but next slide, I want to show you something. We did a little bit of math. Our overview giving in 2019 was $56,559 total. Our expenses at restoration were 37540 That includes time for me to do some of the work I do and some of the infrastructure we do in supporting what's going on in, in Central America. So a chunk of that, roughly a third, is going to missions, although it's, it's things like running their website, supporting other things that we kind of get, like it, we're doing here too, so it's, it's barely different. So there's overlap there. We had 18,200 went directly to missions and meeting needs. That's cool. But you'll notice this is still not 50%. I suppose if you take that third, then yeah, it's roughly 50%. We'd just love to see an increase in our missions giving by God's grace. Here's what I thought was interesting. Our raw monthly expenses, and that's covering some things for Central America, admittedly, right? Um, Like our liability insurance and our website and all that kind of stuff. Our monthly expenses average out to $3,128 a month. I don't know any churches that run that lean, right? By God's grace. Our missions giving goal then would be to do exactly $3,128 a month. And we sometimes get close to that, some months we don't. 
So our total, sorry, I did the math wrong. Our total would be about 6,256, right? Our best guess for how many people are really involved in our church is our email subscribers, which is 117. Um, that's not counting everybody in Central America and things like that, but 117 you stateside people that are engaged and involved. That would work out to about $55 a person per month giving for us to be able to meet that giving goal. I just don't think that's very much. Uh, so this is not me giving a like, you've got to give more. That's not what I'm going for. I'm just saying like, this is how easy it is for our church because we operate so lean to do so much. Um, and like, this goes right to like, in Central America, we have homeless people that we care for right now. And we've got it down pretty lean. It costs like a hundred and some bucks a month per person to live there. Um, it's just really cool when we can increase that and immediately goes to meet need. Um, so, uh, as we mentioned, we have a lean, steady operational budget, so every extra dollar can go to meeting needs. I hate doing numbers and math and all that kind of stuff for a lot of reasons. I'm a theologian, not a mathematician, but I actually think this, this is really cool. Like, I, I think it's worth celebrating. Like Our percentage giving to missions is a lot better than most churches. Praise God. I don't want to compare like that. That's, we're on a good track, I think is maybe what I should say. But man, Jesus doesn't want us to be like everybody else. He wants us to really do what he has called us to do. Cool? So last thing, um, membership. I know several of us have, uh, have signed on for membership, which is awesome. I'm very excited about that. Um, I don't know, is there anybody else that has said like, all right, yes, I'm ready to be a member, and you haven't turned in your thing yet? Anybody that like brought your paper today to be a member? No? All right, cool. A few of you brought it, but you already gave it to me. Um, here's what I am inviting us to do. Um, if you have turned in the membership form, um, we want to take some time to pray together as members. So um, I don't have them on me. Who all has, has become members? Filled out the form. Cool. All right. A few of us. Some of you don't have your hands up. That's okay. Um, I have a cool little, this is at somebody's suggestion, we have a cool little leather-bound book that you can put your name in uh, to make it like feel really official. Um, I promise we have a spreadsheet with your name. It's not as cool as a leather-bound book that has our information on it. Um, and it was really expensive. It was like $20 to do this. So you should really put your name in this. Um, here's what I would like to do. I'm going to pray for our members first. Um, I'm going to invite you who are members to come up after we pray, write your name down. Um, and that's just a really cool thing. Um, Here's the other thing. We are looking ahead to 2020, and God is calling us to more discipleship, more evangelism. I want us to be faithful. So um, would we just pray for what God is at work in? It's pretty cool. We're filling up this room, and that's kind of awesome. Um, but I'm more excited about lost coming to Christ. I, I don't think we baptized enough people last year. In fact, I know of people that I'm pretty sure have come to Christ haven't been baptized yet. You need to get baptized. Um, would you guys just pray with me for what God has yet to do, that we would faithfully follow Jesus, that he would have everything. Um, ready to join in? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for what you have done. Ah, Lord, I remember the days when we were just starting off praying five, six years ago. And we thought, wouldn't it be cool if one person comes to Christ? Wouldn't it be cool if two people came to Christ? And that would be worth it all. Lord, you have done far abundantly beyond what we ask or think. We're seeing an increase in health. We're seeing so many good things. And yet, Lord, we look at your standard and we say, man, we're just not there. So we need you, by your Holy Spirit, to continue to fill us, to equip us, 
to form us into the image of Christ, that we would love one another unconditionally, that we would proclaim your gospel, that you would draw the lost to Jesus, and um, that we would fulfill this great commission. And then all the more may we gather together and encourage as the day draws near. Uh, for our members, Lord, who are committing, not just attending, but saying, I'm in, and I'm, 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 I'm trusting what you are doing here, God. Lord, I pray your blessing on them that they would be faithful and that we as a church would shepherd them well, protect them well, equip them well. Um, Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.